0: Turn with me to 2 John. There's only one chapter, so just turn to 2 John. That would be it. We're in verses uh, 12 and 13 today. I've entitled the message Walk in Fellowship. Now we've been going through 2 John for a couple of weeks now. The first part of the passage was verses 1 through 4, and that was entitled Walk in Love. I'm, I'm sorry, Walk in Truth. The second part was verses 5 and 6 which was entitled Walk in Love. The third part was verses 7 through 11, which was true or false. And now this one is called Walk in Fellowship. So let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. We pray your blessing over this message. Lord, I know you gave me a word to share. Let it be helpful. Let it be profitable. Let it change our lives. Let it change the life of this fellowship. So we ask your Holy Spirit to teach us what we need to know. Anoint me, Lord, that I may speak the truth uh, with love and with an anointing from your Spirit. Let it all be done, Lord, for your glory and for the good of the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. All right, so let's look at verses 12 and 13, and uh, we'll go from there. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So from these two verses, I so just want to, this is like a summary of the whole epistle, but let's talk about what we talked about already, just as a refresher. If you need to see or, or listen to the sermons, they're on our 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 website page, on our Facebook page, and our YouTube page as well. You can always go back and look at them, and the slides that you see are also on our web page as well. So, so we talked about walking in truth. Uh, verse number two really really strikes me. It says, uh, "Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever." The truth of the matter is, we need a savior. We needed a Savior the day we got saved. And however many months or years have gone by, guess what? We still need a Savior just as bad as we did in the first place. Um, I always go back to the dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. You know the story, I'm sure. I mentioned it before, but... As he was uh, arrested that night and he was brought before Pilate, Pilate said to him, what have you done? Why are you in this predicament that you're in? And Jesus said, I've, I've come to establish a kingdom. And he said, well, so you are a king. And he said, I, I am a king, but my kingdom is not here. My kingdom has come to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? And we know that Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. He's the one that saves. We're all lost. It's a mandate from the Lord. Now that we have found the truth of that, we're mandated by the Lord to tell the whole world that there's a Savior out there. We call that the Great Commission. Then we look at verses 5 and 6, and and we we realize that not only do we walk in truth, but we also walk uh, in love. Uh, Sometimes Truth can be difficult to receive if it's not, if it's not tempered with love. It could be rigid, like the law. But he says to walk in love. John 13, Jesus said at the Last Supper, a new commandment I give you that you, in, in my vernacular, you guys have to love each other. Love, love each other the way I loved you, and all the world will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. So he says to walk in love, walk in truth and walk in love. They kind of complement each other. Truth on one side, love on the other side. They give boundaries. There's facts and there's truth and there's the emotional response to being in a relationship with the Lord. We can't have truth without love and we can't have love without truth. And the background of this, as you may remember, John is speaking to the church and he's addressing the idea that there are false prophets, false teachers trying to creep in and and, and disrupt what the Lord had started. So verses 7 to 11, he uh, he brings the reality of walking in truth and love. And what he's saying is when you see these false teachers that are trying to deceive you, trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Basically, he's saying have nothing to do with them. You can love them. But the truth of the matter is they're trying to sway you away from the real truth. And uh he says, you can't be yoked together with these people. Uh you, you may try to win them in the truth, but you have to protect your heart, your mind, your spirit. If they come for you in verse number ten verses ten and eleven, if they come after you, don't even receive them. Don't greet them. Don't even have fellowship with them. And if you do, verse number eleven, if you do, you're guilty by association of being of being what they are and what they believe. So don't, you know, preserve what you have. And don't change it, don't water it down, don't dilute it. And this brings us to verses 12 and 13. But if I want to digress for just a moment. Because something has really been not bothering me, but it's been in the back of my mind since we started this study over a month ago. Um, we, we started looking at verse number one, when John the elder writes to the elect lady and her children. Remember we talked about, about that. We, We were talking about who is this lady? You know, who is this person? Um, but I just want to go through this. And we, we talked about two different possibilities. It was either a real person and her children, or it was representative of a church. And the ministries or the people in that church. But verse number one to the elect lady and her children. Verse number four, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. Verse number five, I plead with you now, lady. Uh, verses five through seven, just a warning uh, to the lady or to the church. And verses twelve and thirteen, I desire to meet with you face to face. And I I just want to mention this. At first I was leaning towards this being a a a legitimate person, a lady. But after going through the study and, and there's there's scholars on both sides of the fence. Some say it is a lady. But others say it's not a lady, it's a church. So it's basically up in the air. But at this point I think it's a I think it's a church. I think it's a fellowship. Because John uses that terminology. In 1 John, he calls the children uh, who are the new believers, or his his converts that he led to the Lord. Uh, the, the term lady, Peter uses it in 1 Peter 5. He talks about the elect in Babylon have relationship together. So I have a feeling it's, it's a, regarding a church. But verses 10 and 11, I, I, I think that because maybe someone was trying to come in to the church with a different doctrine or a different slant on different things. And, and John is saying, you know what, preserve what you have, take care of what you have, and uh, don't fall for the false doctrines that are going out there. So protect the church from the false doctrine. But now in verses 12 and 13, uh, we see another aspect of this where... He's saying, I I desire to visit with you. I want to see you. Um, And so we could say, does he want to see a person? Or does he want to see a church? I think he wants to see a church. I think he wants to visit the fellowship. And the various souls that got saved through that fellowship. So let's look at verses uh, 12 and 13. And like we usually do, we'll just go verse by verse. There's only two. So how long could this sermon be with only two verses? Right? But anyway... Uh, Then we'll have some application to that. Okay, so verse number 12. Having many things to write to you. I just want to say something here. That John, like a good old pastor, teacher, leader, he's got a lot to say. Can I get an amen right there? See, any leader should have a lot to say. Hello? I have a lot to say. As you know, I have a lot to say. But leaders, see, it's an, it's important to have something to say. Now, some people think they have something to say, but they get there, and guess what? The well is dry. They have nothing to say. So, I thought about that. How do you how do you get to have something to say? You've got to spend time with the Lord. You've got to be able to hear and discern His voice, His promptings. In Acts chapter six, when there was this murmuring among the church, and the ladies weren't getting their share of the of the uh the goods uh they were grumbling and and the apostle said you know what you guys take care of that you seven get seven people you take care of that we're going to spend our time praying and studying the word makes sense to me so thus the value of leaders and workers in the church to do some of those kind of things but uh anyway we we need to have time with jesus Time in the Word. Time to study the Word of God. Time to feed our mind and our spirit and our soul. So listen, if you ever are called upon to do something for the Lord or for the church, make sure you spend some time with the Lord in the first place so that you have something to bring to the table. Paul told Timothy in one place, he said, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman that rightly divides the Word of Truth. Later he told Timothy, when, when Paul was in prison, he said, Timothy, he wrote him a letter, Timothy, listen, when you come visit with me, bring me my cloak, the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas. But also bring me the books, and bring me the parchments. And by books he's saying, bring me probably the Old Testament scrolls, the commentaries. As you know, Paul oftentimes quoted literature of the day. Maybe there were some poetic books or literary works of the day. In fact, one of the one of the songs we used to sing from Acts 17 was actually a phrase from a local poet. It's called, In Him We Live and Move and Have Our Being, Make a Joyful Noise. But that little phrase came from a local poet that Paul knew of. But anyway, he's saying to Timothy, Bring me my books, bring me my and bring me my parchments. Which are probably the things that he wrote on, his own thoughts and ideas and things that he was working on. So he's saying, you know, I, I want to keep my mind and my spirit sharp. So in, in 2 John 12, John is saying, look, I, I've got a lot more to say. I've got a lot to say to you. I said something here, but I've got more to say to you. I think we should kind of kind of tuck that principle away and realize when we all get together, somebody's got to have something to say about the Lord. And he goes on. He he says, uh, "I would throw in here, as in First John, he said, you know, he said, by the way, I, I walked with Jesus." I talked with Jesus. I fellowshiped with Jesus. I heard him. I saw him. I was there when when all this happened. So he's saying, in a sense, he's saying, glean from me. Learn from me. I've got something to give you. And he goes on in verse number 12. He says, "I, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. I don't want to write it down. I want to visit you face to face. I want to talk with you. I want to spend time with you. Now we know that, that John wrote a lot. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote one, two, three John. He wrote 22 chapters in Revelation. It's not that he was opposed to writing, but right here he's saying, I don't want to write anymore. I want to visit with you. I want to fellowship with you. Now what I'm about to say is not directed at anyone in particular. So don't take it that way. But sometimes we just need to put down the phone Put down the texting, not send the instant message or the snapshot or Instagram or email, and simply sit down with somebody and have a conversation. Amen. That's what John is saying here. I don't want to write, I mean, writing's good. Now, the Lord used writings, you know, the epistles are all letters that were written, but, but there are times when, as good as that is, a face-to-face is even better. I can remember last year, Pamela and I, Uh, went to visit, and Stacy was there, and Dan went to visit Jeffrey down in, our son Jeffrey down in North Carolina. It was, and we would FaceTime, and we would do all this stuff, but seeing him face to face, and having a meal together, nothing better, nothing better, nothing better. Amen. This, this last Friday, Pamela and I, uh, we got together with some pastor friends, went out to dinner, went out for ice cream and just had some fellowship. We kept saying, man, it's been like two years since we got together to do this because of COVID. Isn't it great to get together? Yeah, man, it's great to get together. And this is the, the, the principle of what we're talking about, the value of fellowship. The Word of God says a lot about it. In Colossians 4, 6, I'll paraphrase a little bit. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, when you when you speak together, when you get together in person, speak with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how to answer each other. In other words, there's nothing better than an eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face conversation. But let your speech be seasoned with, with grace and with salt. Ephesians 4.29, he says to the Ephesians, when you're speaking together, let it be to encourage and build up one another. Because you know as much as I know, sometimes when we get together, that doesn't always happen. But he's saying, when you get together and you have fellowship together, let it be to encourage and to bless one another. Um, Early on in our Christian life, um I didn't, I didn't even I heard my pastor talking about fellowship. I may have told you this. We're brand new Christians, you know, and I don't even know what fellowship is. I never really thought about it. He kept on saying, oh, you all have some fellowship. And fi- finally one day he came over to our house and I said, hey, Pastor Jerry, what is this fellowship thing you're talking about? He goes, oh, well, that's what we're doing right now. I said, all we're doing is talking and having a bite to eat. He goes, well, that's fellowship. I said, oh, that, that's what we're supposed to do. He says, yeah, you're supposed to do that with the body of Christ. So I learned something new that day. It was wonderful. Romans twelve ten. It says, when you get together, have brotherly affection for one another. I can think back in my life. There there were times in our lives, Pamela and I, when we were newly married. Well, in the first couple of years of our marriage, we lived in North Carolina for a number of years. But we'd come home for the holidays. And... Uh, at one point, we met some Christian people there. I remember distinctly having Christmas or something with my family and Pamela's family. And after all that, we went to uh, the home of a Christian person that had some company, and they were all Christians. And that fellowship with the real believers was so ministering to my... And I love my family. It was great. But getting together with true believers that will worship the Lord was so refreshing to my spirit. So, verse 12... I, I don't want to write to you. It makes us seem too far away. I don't want to be impersonal with you. I want to draw close to you. I want to make a personal visit with you. And then I see at the end of verse number 12, that when that happens, this is something I want you to get, something miraculous happens. I never thought about it till I got ready to preach this message today. But he says, He said, I don't want to write this down with paper and ink. I want to come to you and speak to you face to face so that our joy may be full. You know, what is that? You know, I'm thinking about that. So joy definitely comes from the Lord. You know, you have made me glad. I will rejoice. You have made me glad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Right. We all know that. And we get joy from the Lord. But on a different level When you have joy, and I have joy, and we get together, that joy kind of explodes. And there's a sense of camaraderie, a sense of connection, because you got the joy, I got the joy. We have fellowship, and our joy, like John says, our joy may be full in that context. Now, some of you may not know what I'm talking about. And I'll tell you what, COVID has done a job on the whole idea of fellowship, And thank you, Hannah, that the cafe is going to open up again. But I'm just saying, you know, fellowship used to be a big part of every church. Now, not so much. The joy of the Lord is wonderful, but is not designed to be experienced alone. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like oil that flows down Aaron's beard, down his robe. It's like the oil on Mount Hermon that brings life and and moisture. It's where life is proclaimed evermore. There's something about fellowship that's really very important. Think back with me. Acts chapter 8. Great revival in Samaria. And the leaders down in Jerusalem catch wind. Something's going on in Samaria. They send John and Peter up there to check it out in person. And they give their stamp of approval over the revival in Samaria. They had person-to-person contact. In Acts chapter 11, we read about the revival in Antioch. And the leaders down in Jerusalem, they, they caught wind of something special going on in Antioch. They sent Barnabas to go up there and check it out. A man full of faith and a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And when Barnabas got there, he saw, uh, he saw the work of the Holy Spirit. He saw the grace of God in operation. And he gave credence and, and uh, affirmation to the believers there. In Philippians 4, verse 18, we see Paul Paul's being blessed by this gift that was brought by the hands of Epaphroditus. Everyone say that three times fast. Epaphroditus brought a gift. And Paul says, I'm blessed by the gift. It's wonderful. We don't know what the gift was. Probably a financial gift. But he says in that context, this gift is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's it's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So the gift in itself was special, but the fact that someone brought it to him in person was an added blessing to him. We read in Titus chapter three, uh, Paul writes to Titus, I'm sending you Artemis, I'm sending you Tychicus, send me Zenas and Apollo's for fellowship and camaraderie that we may meet each other's needs." So John uh, John 2 John 12, "I desire to visit you. I want to see you face. To face. I want, I want our joy to explode, your joy and my joy. Then he says, verse number 13, just a point, I call this a point of connection. The children of the sister, uh, the, uh, the, the your elect sister, they greet you too. You ever get greetings from somebody? I love to get greetings. Like if I go somewhere and someone's not there, but someone says to me, oh, so and so says to say hello, they send their love and their greet. I love to receive that. And when I can't get somewhere, I tell someone, make sure you tell them that I said hello and, and I greet them and I love them, etc. But in this setting, we we have this idea that there's there are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a sense of family, a sense of uh camaraderie, a sense of togetherness, and uh all one one big family of God. It would be like like the the uh the River Church here in Haverhill that we have fellowship with, sending their love to new life. Or or uh, Riverside Assembly of God in Methuen, sending their blessings to new life here in Haverhill. Speaking of which, another thing that has happened in our community, which you probably may not even be aware of. But it, it's a good thing. Let me explain what I'm saying. In, in verse number 13, the children of your elect sister greet you, amen. There are Christian groups springing up all over Haverhill. In the last five or six years, there's been eight churches that started brand new in Haverhill. If if you count the one in Georgetown, where our brother Steve and sister Denise Newman went to start a church, that would be nine churches in the last five or six years that just sprang up. I mean, when we came here 15 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot happening in Haverhill, Massachusetts. But shortly afterwards, when North Point moved in and that had an influence and other churches started coming, other churches started coming alive. Let me, let me name them. You may not be aware of them. I know all these pastors. They're, they're friends of mine. These are eight new churches. High Rock Church, Just Church, the rebooted Riverside Church by the hospital, Community Christian Fellowship on High Street, the Cafe at Common Ground, Leaving the Streets, Goshen Faith Embassy, and Renaissance Church. They're all fellowships right here, probably within four or five miles of this church, serving the same God, trying to do the same thing, and then by faith fellowship in Georgetown. All try, and, and we all try to get together on the third Thursday of every month. We call it the United Night of Prayer. So there's a sense of camaraderie and unity. We, we try to develop a sense of unity among all the churches. So, I want to just kind of summarize this this epistle. Um, And I have four things to mention. And I won't spend a lot of time on each one. But I want to just mention them, kind of summarize the whole thing. If we want to walk in fellowship, and, and we should want to walk in fellowship, we must begin at the beginning. We must have a walk with God. We must have a walk with God. I mean, we can't have very good fellowship... Unless we're first walking with the Lord. I heard on the radio somebody was preaching. And they said they knew somebody at a church that was serving the Lord and doing all these things. But they weren't living a godly life. They weren't really serving the Lord. They were doing a lot of things. But they weren't really living a godly life. I just want to encourage everyone with the idea of fellowshipping within the church. Make sure that you're walking with God. Colossians two six says, As you have received Christ Jesus, our Lord... So also walk in him. When you received him, you began to walk with him. You said yes to the Lord. I said yes to the Lord many years ago. I say yes to the Lord every day of my life. I'm walking with God. It's it's our mandate. We must walk with the Lord. We made a decision then. We've got to make a decision now. And the Lord is still seeking those that will serve him. And that will do things for the kingdom of God. We're always looking for people in the church to get involved in various ministries at the church. Whether it's the cafe, whether it's kids ministry, whether it's cleaning or whatever is going on, whether it's worship team, whether it's working with the youth or the children, whatever's going on. We're always looking for people to get involved. But we're looking for people to, first of all, love God with all your heart and with all your soul. Walk with God. Walk with God when nobody's looking. Walk with God when no one's around and only you know you're walking with the Lord. So when we desire fellowship with the saints, let's make sure that we're bringing something to the table and not just a pat on the back, which isn't bad, by the way. But let's bring a pat on the back with the love of Jesus as well. And when we're walking with God... Certain things become alive in our spirit. Like this the, the the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse comes alive when we're walking with God. If we're not walking with God, that verse seems a million miles away. But we're walking with God, we're pursuing God, we're worshiping the Lord, we're praying, we're in fellowship and whatnot, we're we're running after God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we're walking with God, we could say, I have a faith. Uh, Even a little bit of faith, but my faith could move mountains. I'm walking with God. I'm believing in God for miracles. When we're walking with God, we have an inner peace in our spirit, no matter what may come our way. And we have a lot of stuff coming our way these days. When we're walking with the Lord, we're a shining light to the lost around us. And there are thousands of lost souls all around us. So I want to encourage you, church, walk with God. Be known as a person that walks with God. Let your workplace somehow understand that you're a little bit different than everybody else because you serve a living and real true God. Let your light shine. Walk with God. Let your family members know that you're walking with God. And not just by words, but by your actions. What you do, what you don't do. But walk with God. So if we want to have fellowship within the church, which we must, we must desire that. But first of all, we must all have a walk worthy of the Lord. Second thing is this. And we, we I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but we must walk in truth. Verse number four, uh, John is saying, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. So he's saying, we we are commanded by the Father to walk in truth. And when we meet other people that are walking in truth, we rejoice with them. So the truth, what is the truth? We're all sinners saved by grace. Jesus is the only Savior. The Bible is the only true Word of God. The church is a divine institution created by the Lord to be a pillar and foundation of the truth. That's the church. So, what is the truth? I would say, that in summary, the truth is John three sixteen, That God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's the truth. Without that, we're doomed to a, a, an eternity in hell. And we walk in truth. And as we walk in truth, we realize no one is better or worse than anybody else. The truth sets us free. Walking in truth is like saying we're walking in the light of Christ. We're walking in the hope of Christ. We're walking in the steps of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We walk in truth. We walk in Christ. As opposed to walking in things that are false. Or deceptive. Or things that are lies. I'll give you an example. If we're living our lives and we're saying... I don't need God. That's a lie. That's not walking in truth. If we say, oh, my sin issue is okay, God understands. That's a lie. We need to address that sin issue. If we, don't, if we say, I don't need to go to church, I don't need fellowship, that's not living in the truth. If, if we're saying, uh, it's all about me, my pride, my ego, we're not living in the truth. But the Lord wants us to live in the truth. The truth is, we need a Savior. We needed him when we got saved for us a long time ago. We need him today to be our Lord and Savior. Third thing is this. We not only must walk in, walk with God and walk in truth, but we must walk in love. Verse number six says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. We walk, uh, we walk following in obedience to his commandments. That's a, that's a, a great way to test where we are with our love for God. Do we love God enough to, uh, to literally obey what He says to do? And I would probably turn to Luke chapter 6, not that I'm going there literally right now, but the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus was teaching, when He said, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, bless those that curse you, pray for those that spitefully use you. He said, love people, give things away, give your cloak away, give your clothing away, give your mercy away, give your forgiveness away, give your love away. Turn the other cheek, give your soul away and obey Jesus, that agape love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I've loved you, you must love each other and all will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. The agape love of God, the unconditional, never ending, unselfish, non judgmental love of God towards other people. So, if you want to live in fellowship, these are all ingredients, by the way, that would make up a healthy church walking with God, walking in truth, and walking in love. The fourth one is just walking in fellowship, and what I mean is walking with one another. Walking with each other. The Christian lifestyle is designed to include other people. I mentioned it earlier, but the condition of the church at large today is very sad. I was We were talking with the pastor the other day. And his church is experiencing a lot of what we're experiencing here. Most churches in America are down in attendance from prior to March of 2020 by 50 or 60%. That means if you were running 100 people back then, you might be running 50 or 60 people now. If you were running 200 people back then, you might be running you know, 100 or 120 people now. Fellowship has suffered so much. People are isolating in fear, anxiety, regarding sickness, finances, social issues, political issues, social media. When you look back on the last two years, don't you remember the election year of 2020? Every, uh, the riots, there was so much going on. And the COVID hit. Remember, I, we were talking about this the other day. I used to preach with a piece of plexiglass in front of me, for goodness sakes. And the church was closed for a couple of months. Remember, do you remember? It wasn't that long ago, but so much has changed during that time. In the meantime, most Christian people, I, I tell people, yeah, we've lost a lot of people over the last two years. But what remains is gold. I commend you all for staying and being a part of the church. You're golden. You're just you're, you're strong. And I, I commend you. But a lot of people that were kind of like uh, up in the air, they're doing other things. I used to think we lost people to the online. I don't think that anymore. I see the numbers on there. And thank you for being online today. But. But overall, it's not because of that. We have people in other parts of the country on there. It's just people locally that are doing other things. Church is no longer a priority. Well, God may be a priority, but fellowship is not a priority. And now with all these additional churches in town, I'm not complaining, I'm glad for the churches. But you see a lot of shifting going on. If someone doesn't like this church, they'll go to another one. They don't like that one, they'll come back over here. We see it all the time. It's just church is different now. But what's suffering is the sense of fellowship, camaraderie, and belonging. And I, maybe I'm a dinosaur. I may be a dinosaur. But I remember back in the day, my church down in North Carolina, that church in Reedsville, uh, Reedsville, North Carolina, man, that was a special place. When I connected with a few of those brothers on Facebook last year, I almost cried. They're still serving Jesus. Some in the same church 40 years ago. Still in the same church. When we left our home church, we lived in New York, came back up here. Our church was in Greenwich, Connecticut. Some of the same people, I told you this, same people there. When we left, it was a church of say, 200 people. 25 years ago we left. Now it's a church of 1,000 people. But some of the same people are ushers. On the worship team, working with the children—the same people. I mean, other people too. But that church has become a home. You know, it's something special about your church. I—I, I, uh, you know, I, my my father was Catholic, my mother was Methodist. But when she got married, she had to become a Catholic. But every now and then, when I was a kid, go, she would take me and my brothers to the Methodist church. So I got to see what that was like, but I was really a Catholic. But one day, a few years ago, I was talking to my mom about, you know, I said, "Mom, you know, sometimes people leave a church, they go to another church. And that idea was foreign to my mother. In her church, her Methodist church down in Memphis, Tennessee, as a kid, that church was like, you know what, No, if you went, that was your church. Why would you want to leave your church? Well, somebody rubbed me the wrong way. Well, you know what? Come on. Someone, we were talking about it earlier. Someone said, it should be like a family. I mean, come on. You have arguments with, oh, don't even, I don't want to go there. But we have arguments with our family, but we don't leave our family. We just have a bad day. And later on, we sit down and have a meal together. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm okay now. It's family. So what's, what's up with this church, this, this Christian thing? It's like we've created a monster of sorts in a way. Like I said, if you don't like this one, go to that one. If you don't like that one, go to that one. If you don't like that, stay home and watch somebody in California in the, in the privacy of your own home drinking your coffee. You could do that too. But what's suffering is the sense of fellowship, camaraderie, friendship even. That's what I'm talking about. So let me tell you how it used to be. Some of you may remember the, this. Church, see, church on Sunday used to start with Sunday school. Kids went to Sunday school. Youth went to Sunday school. And adults went to Sunday school. Before the service ever began, everyone went to Sunday school. Then they'd come up and have a little fellowship. And then service would begin. And they'd have a church service for about two hours. And after that, they kind of fellowships. A lot of people go out to eat together. Then they come back again at 6 or 7 o'clock for like an hour, hour and a half for praise and worship, a little message and fellowship and prayer. And then then there was the midweek service. I can remember not that long ago. I mean, yeah, I guess it is. But sometimes the Wednesday night service had more people than the Sunday morning service, if you could believe that. I'm talking 7,500 people on a Wednesday night. Millions of kids running around. But that was church. It was, it was like, that's what we do. Youth group, men's group, ladies' group, kids' ministry. Overall, right now, church in America is suffering. It's not what it was. I'm not saying it needs to go back to that, but something has to happen where we develop a sense of camaraderie and unity within the local church. You know I'm a great believer in the local church. It doesn't matter how big Brother So-and-So's church is out in Texas or California, and you can watch it online. He'll never come visit you when you're in the hospital. I don't care what anybody says. So I believe in the local church. I believe it. I I, I live it. It's what I do. But we need to rediscover the value. What John is talking about, I don't even want to write you a letter. And letters are good. Sometimes I encourage people to write letters to somebody. Because the Lord used epistles. He could use a letter. You want to express yourself. But in this case, I don't even want to write you a letter with pen and ink. I want to see you face to face. There's a lesson in that. Why did he want to do that? Because he loved them. And he felt like they loved him. And there's nothing better than face to face, eyeball to eyeball, pat on the back. How you doing, my brother, my sister? So I would say we need to rediscover some scriptures. And I, I know I can't do it all right now, but I'm going to give you something to think about. 1 John 1, 1.3, uh, John wrote there, he said, That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you that, we may have, that you may have fellowship with us. So can I drop a, a hint in your heart? Become an inviting person. Your family. Your co workers, people at church. You know, we're declaring the truth of God that we might have fellowship with one another. Invite someone to church, invite someone to maybe have a little Bible study with you, invite someone to a special event that we, that we may have. 1 John 1, 1.7 says this. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from our sin. Do you know that we walk better with the Lord when we walk together? We walk better. We're better Christians when we walk together. Why is that? Because we hold each other accountable. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We listen to each other. We have camaraderie. We have a sense of connection. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, if you walk in the light, I walk in the light, you walk in the light, you walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship together. And the blood of Jesus is so real, it cleanses us from all of our sin. That's a definition of church. Hello. Colossians, Galatians, Galatians two nine. Says this, when the pillars of the faith, James and Peter and John, when they perceived that the grace of God was upon me and Barnabas, they gave us the right hand, the fellowship. Remember a long, long time ago, we moved from North Carolina back to New York, where where we grew up. And I went to an Assembly of God church, which I was amazed that there was an Assembly of God Church there. I never knew it. I grew up in that area. But anyway, the pastor came to me, and after a week or a couple of weeks we were there, he said, I want to extend to you the right hand of fellowship. Man, and he hugged, he shook my hand, he hugged me, greeted me. That blessed me so much. Can I encourage you to give the right hand of fellowship to somebody? Not just, hey, how you doing? Like, you know, hey, how you doing? And it says, when they perceived the grace of God was on us, that's another thing. That's like when Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God. I preached about that one. How do you see the grace of God? How do you perceive the grace of God on somebody? Well, you sense it. You you can tell God's dealing with someone and they're letting God deal with them. But when you perceive that, you offer the right hand of fellowship. Hey, come on, I want to walk with you. That's how the church develops. Am I making any sense? Is this a dinosaur sermon? Maybe it's a dinosaur sermon. It's the word of God to me. I'm going I'm to take it as long as I can go. I don't know. I don't know what else to do. What else are you going to do with this? I mean, oh, I don't want to get on that. I'll forget that.. Yeah, <laughs> Second Corinthians 6:14, something we don't want to hear. But Paul wrote, and the Holy Spirit's writing to us, don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. Huh? I have to work with them. Yeah, well, that's different. But you can't have your best people, non-Christian, that hate what you are. You need to get yoked with people of like faith. That's called fellowship. I, I told you the story recently, so it may be a repeat, but when we first got saved, moved to North Carolina, I told a, a new Christian friend of mine, I'm going to the local bar down there to get a job playing guitar in the, in the, in the club. I need to make some extra money. And he wisely said, you know, I, I think God might have a better plan for you to make some money. I wouldn't go back down there. And he was, I didn't go. But what he was saying was, don't get yoked with those unbelievers. Not that, you know, don't get yoked in that environment. It may bring you down. He was absolutely right. God will give you a different source of friendship and income. Just trust God, but don't be yoked with non-believers. Don't be yoked with the ungodly way that you grew up with. Think in a different way. But if that guy wasn't in my life, I don't know what would have happened. I didn't even know him that well, but he, he stepped out in faith. He said, Rick, no, I don't, I don't think, I think God has a better plan for you. I said, yeah, you're probably right. And he did. So, I want to leave you with this. Can we... I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. You're here, I'm speaking to you. You're watching on live stream, I'm I'm speaking to you. Can we attempt to reestablish the biblical principles of fellowship among us? Now I'm not saying to go back to that schedule like we had 20 years ago, but can we realize that we need each other? I, mean, I remember a long time ago when uh, there were people over there and people over there. I used to make those people stand up and wave to the people over there, and then they would and then they would stand up and wave to the people over there because the two would never meet. <laughs> but can we can we reestablish? The principle that we really need each other. Can we share each other's burdens and not gossip? Oh my goodness. But pray for people. Don't gossip. That's another sermon. Don't gossip. Share a burden and pray for that brother or sister. Can we worship together? Can we grow in grace together? Can we hold each other accountable? Ecclesiastes four, which I normally share at a wedding, (laughs) but it's not really designed for a wedding. But we make it work for a wedding. But it works for a lot of things. says It says two are better than one. It works for a wedding, doesn't it? Two are better than one, but it works for a church. Because you get a better reward when you're together. If one falls, the other picks them up. If one is cold, the other keeps them warm. If one is overpowered, two could withstand the enemy. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Well, the third part is Jesus on the one hand. On another hand, the third part could be another person. How about a tenfold cord? How about a 50 cord? Uh, Fifty... <laughs> Fold cord, there you go. Or a hundredfold cord. You know, the, the more we are, the stronger we are. And I I'm the first one to I know what's going on. I mean, there is definitely a purging within the body of Christ. Every pastor I know is dealing with it. Everyone. You know, when COVID first hit. A lot of churches were focusing on Second Chronicles 7.14, which you probably know if I say it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. But when you study the verses before that and the verses after that, you realize what God is saying is, I'm the one who brought the calamities on the land. I never got that until 2020. The Lord brought the calamities. Why? To punish them? No. To get their attention. But if you turn to God, if you turn to me and repent and all this, I will heal your land and I'll hear hear your prayers and heal your land. And it goes on to say, if you don't do that, you think that was bad, you just wait. And I'm of the opinion, I still think this in my spirit, this whole COVID mess that we're dealing with, not only COVID. You got Ukraine, you got Russia, you got China, you got Taiwan, you got so many things. So many things. What is God doing in all of this? So that 2 Chronicles 7:14 does stand out. If my people who are called by my name will do all those things, I will come and bring deliverance to you. We're in that church. But you did you, you realize what's happening? That that whole principle of getting together and running after God has floated out the window because of all the social issues we're dealing with. And churches are not attended like they were before. Oh, I'd be happy if there were 150 people online today. I'd be happy with that. But I'd also say sooner or later, you got to get into a church. But I know there's not 150 people on there. Yes, it's Memorial Day weekend. Oh yeah, I know. People are away having to cook out doing this. No, I know, I know. I, I, I know that. Every year we deal with it. So in conclusion, church, walking in fellowship is crucial. Here's a test. How can I say it? If you see me or somebody at Market Basket, don't go running down the other aisle. Come on. Oh, I don't want to see them. Hey, you're going to spend eternity with them. It's a test. Walk in fellowship. See, it's not just Sunday morning. I don't have all the answers. I, I don't. I have the principle. Pizza with the pastor? I don't know if it's going to work today. I I, I forgot it was a Memorial Day weekend. I, I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there. Planning a picnic in July? I'm going to throw it out there. See what happens. All we can do is try. But see, every one of you have to get the principle. Why do we do this? I'm not, we're not doing this just because. I mean, among other things... Like when Paul said uh, to the Corinthians, I think it was, he said, What is, my, what is our joy? It's you in the presence of God at His appearing. All that we do is designed to make you and I finish the race. That's why we do what we do. That's why fellowship is so important, so that we could finish the race together. When Jesus comes, we're there. So if we're a church and doesn't emphasize this, In my view, we're not doing what we should be doing. And I can't make anyone come to anything. I'm not saying that, but we can offer it. And if everyone gets the principle, if you can't do it with the church, maybe you'll have some fellowship at home or with a friend or do something else just to have Christian fellowship. It's biblical. So here are the four things in summary. Walk in fellowship with God, in truth, in love, and with others. Why don't we stand together? Let's say uh, verse number 12 together if we can. Then I want to pray. Oh, Verse number 12. Say it with me if you can. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Well, we're going to say it one more time, but before we do that, Speaking of fellowship, I want to offer the right hand of fellowship um, to some people that became members, but then they went away for a couple of weeks, and they're back here today. So Fortune, could you come over here? And Joan and Christy, could you come? So this is Fortune and his wife Joan and her mom Christy. I'll meet you down here. How you doing? God bless you. Come down here a little bit more. Christy, how are you? God bless you. I offer you the the right hand of fellowship. Joan, God bless you. How are you doing? Come over here right in the middle. So listen, after we say the amen, you have to come up here and greet these people and welcome them to the the church. Can I get an amen? amen? This is the beginning of fellowship fellowship. Uh, Christie's husband was here a few weeks ago. He's a preacher, right, in Nigeria. He was making his way around the country doing some preaching. Next time he comes, I want him to share a few words. All right, let's, let's say this verse one more time, then I want to pray. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So you got joy. I got joy. We get together. Joy explodes. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for helping us rediscover the value of Christian fellowship. And Lord, we welcome our new brother, Fortune, his wife, Joan, and her mom, Christy. We welcome them to the fellowship today. And we pray blessings over them. Let this be a great fit. Let them learn and grow a lot. And let them contribute a lot to this fellowship. So Lord, we, we offer the right hand of fellowship to bless them and to encourage them in their walk with you. And Lord, for anyone else here today that may be on the peripheral, maybe someone at home. We just ask you, Lord, by the work of your Holy Spirit, may you use this message today to draw people closer to you and closer to one another. And Lord, may this fellowship, may the leadership of this church be a leadership that always loves you first and loves people right behind that. And loves the church and even loves the lost. Let us always be known as a people that love God and love people. So we thank you for it, Lord. Bless our day today. Uh, Bless those that are traveling. Let us have a safe weekend. Bless tomorrow, Memorial Day across America. Let it be a safe day. And a good day of reflection. But we thank you, Lord, for this great country. We again pray your blessing over every aspect of this land. We give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. So come on up here and greet these new members of the church. Amen. (laughs)